Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast that champions the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode we're talking about cooking to avoid wasting food and the importance of recycling. With Glasgow hosting the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP26, on the 1st to the 12th of November, Scotland will be in the spotlight and hopefully this leads to more of us thinking about food waste and how that impacts our environment. But of course, here at Scran, we love to bring it all back to the love of food. And who better to do this than Scotland's national chef, Gary McLean. He joined me on a Zoom call to tell us his tips for meal prepping and how to be sustainable with your weekly shop. I was also joined by Andrew Pankhurst from Zero Waste Scotland to find out more about recycling and composting. Joined now with Scotland's national chef Gary McLean and Andrew Pankhurst from Zero Waste Scotland to talk about reducing food waste and ideas for using up leftovers. With all of us cooking a lot more from home due to the pandemic, you might be bored of the same meals and want some new inspiration or perhaps you're on a site budget and want to know how best to use your weekly shop to avoid wasting food. So hi Gary and Andrew. Hiya, how you doing? Nice to see you. Hi, nice to see you too. So I'm just going to start with you, Gary. Um, you are Scotland's national chef, which I always like to, it's not like I'm saying it, I write it quite a lot. <laughs> um, and I always think it sounds like a really um, interesting job. But are you like the rest of us cooking more at home or are you leaving that to the day job? No, I, I've always done all the cooking at home. I think what's different now is that I'm cooking every day, whereas before I always batch cooked. With that experience, I come back to cooking every day. I am firmly in favour of batch cooking. It is much easier. It's better for the family. It's, it's better for your budget. You know, so um, I'm learning loads. You know, a lot of, a lot of what I talk about when, I, when I'm talking about particularly food waste or, or managing uh, cooking at home and stuff like that, it's all through experience of me doing it badly before or, or, or you know, because I've got a big family at loads of different ages. So I kind of I cross a lot of different different things that people might experience and this lockdown going back to cooking every day has been a nightmare absolute nightmare so it reinforces my uh, uh, my opinion that batch cooking is certainly the way forward and Andrew what about you are you the cook in the household or I mean me and my wife both cook but I tend to do it more because I kind of enjoy it more I think I think to my wife it's kind of a chore to me it's kind of an excuse to sort of disappear off to the kitchen get some headspace turn some music on loud and just do something that, to me, I feel cooking is kind of a creative thing, you know? Yeah, you follow a recipe, but you just kind of, you, there's a little bit of like adding your own touches to things or just getting creative in the kitchen that I just really enjoy. So, yeah, no, I love being in the kitchen and, and just trying out new things. And I think one of the things that we've probably all felt over the last year, especially during the first lockdown, was maybe not going to the same big supermarkets, not doing the same big shops, you know, maybe having to order online, getting different things in, or, you know, going to smaller convenience stores just to avoid people. So Gary, what what would you suggest if somebody has used up all the food that they like in cooking and they're left with like some random sort of store cupboard tins, ingredients, that kind of thing? Is there is there anything you would suggest that would help store cupboard staples go a bit further in cooking? I, th- I think it's it's what you buy because at the, at the at the first lockdown, a lot of people were buying everything up. They're buying things like flour and and tin tomatoes and pasta and all these sorts of things. So I guarantee you, a lot of these people still have those cupboards full of that stuff. And it's getting to know what's in your cupboard, which is important as well. So get to know 
what's lurking on that top shelf that you bought on the first lockdown, you know, the kilos and kilos of rice and things like that. So this is a good time just now to actually get through your cupboards, you know, and people, people did buy a lot of strong flour and might not have used it because we never ran, really ran out of anything. You know, there was that kind of mentality that there was some sort of uh, Armageddon coming, which didn't really come. So it's get in the cupboards, get a look, make sure you use this stuff up before it goes out of date. And again, a great resource is the internet. You know, so if you go into the fridge and you've got some cream cheese and you're going to get a bit of pasta and then you, you've got some, some bits and bobs, you know, chickpeas or whatever it may be, just get online and have a look. You can list those ingredients and, and something will bounce back. You know, some fantastic websites out there, BBC Good Food and, and things like that that will help you come up with something new. But if you're in that kind of mindset, and again, I think it's all about mindset when it comes to food waste at home, you have to be, you have to have your, your head in that sort of frame of, of trying to, to change how you sort of normally work. Because I often think that people are creatures of habit. They are working off the same 10 dishes all the time. And it's because they know that their husband or their wife likes it or their kids like it or whatever that may be. But we are terrible for getting in that routine. And it's changing that routine, but with the mindset of A, saving money and saving on food waste, which will be the, the big game changer, I think, for me. Also, I should say as well as BBC Good Food website, the Scotsman Food and Drinks website also has a lot of good recipes. <laughs> yes, definitely. But again, lot, lots of fantastic. There's no excuse. You know, when I was younger and having to learn to cook and come up with new ideas for food, I would have to go round the, round the town and read the menus at the front doors of the good restaurants and be you'd be writing down what the good restaurants are doing so you can keep up to date. You are as well as Scotland's National Chef, you're a senior lecturer at the City of Glasgow College. So what kind of recipes do, would you give to or recommend to students if they're on a budget? Because I know quite a lot of people right now will be kind of, you know, looking to budget a lot more than they maybe were before. To be honest, we, we don't really give consumer advice for the students, uh, being totally honest, but what we do give them and what they're demanding from us in education is they, they're looking at where the food's coming from. You know, the, the, the young students coming through, they've had, they've had a sustainability drummed into them from high school. And soon to be, we're going to have kids, like my younger kids in primary school, they're talking about sustainability, they're talking about food waste, they're talking about the environment. So that, that's coming through. It's kind of coming, coming up the way. But we've always, in, in, in college and in, in education, even when I was a student and, work, and, and working in industry, we have always, always, always had a, a, a big focus on food waste. And 30 years ago, it wasn't for the environment, it was for gross profit. You know, so we were always taught never to waste a thing. You know, every single thing gets used. And not only that, every single ingredient is treated with respect and looked after. Therefore, you can use it further down the line to then make money for that business. But that goes hand in hand with the environment. It goes hand in hand with reducing that carbon footprint. You know, and a lot of companies and a lot of restaurants are now aware that they need to have really strong credentials when it comes to, you know, their impact on the environment. You know, we, we can get a, a, young, a, young, a young chef and she, and she might end up being the head chef of a group of hotels in 20 years time. And it's not a long time in the grand scheme of things. But she could be in control of a budget of fifty million pounds a year in food. Our hospitality students, they they they're in control of uh, things like laundry and lights and energy and these sorts of things. So 
you know, the, the sustainability in education is absolutely crucial and it, it covers not only the, the, the environment, but also how to make a, a viable business. So it all, for me, just goes hand in hand. And that um, kind of brings me on to my question for you, Andrew. You work at Zero Waste Scotland um, and one of the things the organisation is trying to encourage us to think more about food waste and one of the things we can do to reduce that is recycling. So what are your top tips on food recycling? Well, it's interesting. Like Gary talked there about um, being creatures of habit. And I think there's something in that really about food waste recycling. Like you kind of need to make it a habit that, that you then don't break really. It needs to become a habitual thing because let's face it, it's always going to be just much easier to just, to just landfill everything than it is to carefully separate it and take the time to do that. So in order to make it a habit that you can keep, I think you have to try and look at your kitchen and figure out how you make that easy for yourself. So people talk about that kind of golden triangle that you need to have between like the sink and your, your sort of preparation area and, and whatever. I think, you know, somehow you need to figure out where your kitchen caddy sits and all that so that as you're chopping and prepping and you're, you know, getting all these kind of bits of peelings and stuff that you're not going to eat, it's just really easy to drop those in. Um, really easy just to keep adding to it rather than putting it in the in the main bin where your other stuff is going to go out to landfill or whatever. Just just getting a system that works for you. In my house, I have to have it just outside the back door because if I have it in the house, the dogs come and try and eat stuff out of it, which you sort of find discarded corn cobs up the stairs and stuff like that. So that's no good for me. So I have to have it out the back door. But I have it just so that, because if it's raining or whatever, I don't want to be putting shoes on every time I want to go out to the to, to service. It's just, just there. I can just drop stuff out and put it in. And But again, that takes discipline for me to, to do that every time. It would be much easier just to throw it out. So I think that's the thing. It's a discipline. It's a habit that you've got to get in. And for anybody that's kind of struggling to form that habit, the thing I would always say to them is try and remember that food waste is the worst thing you can put into landfill. So we've all got quite educated about plastics and we know that if we send plastics to the wrong place, they can end up in the sea causing problems in our environment and everything. Absolutely valid argument. But from a climate change point of view, food waste is the most damaging thing we can put into landfill. It has the highest carbon impact when it goes in there. It creates methane, which is a, a greenhouse gas that's even stronger than CO2. So if you're wanting some motivation to remind yourself I do need to make that extra effort just to put this in a different bin. Just remember, food waste, that's the worst thing we can put into landfill. So please do try and remember to just use that kitchen caddy every time. I was going to ask you about that, actually, because I've seen the adverts from the Scottish government that say, you know, you should be separating your food and, you know, the gases and stuff. So it's good It's good to get a bit of more information on that, that it's actually, it's actually pretty bad. But I live in a block of flats and we have food caddies but it's not as it's not as easy because the uh, the council stopped picking up the main big food bin. So pretty much everyone in this block of flats now, unless they take their food waste elsewhere, will probably be putting it in their main bin. And I know I am, which is terrible because now I know it's really bad. So what what kind of advice would you give to people who who are not in a situation that's as easy as you know they don't have a garden for their caddy or it's not it's not coming as 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 uh, more as naturally as it has been uh, for you to get into that habit. Well, in your situation where you're not getting a good service from your council, I would absolutely take that up with them and perhaps encourage your neighbours to do that as well. Because actually, I think sometimes we feel like if we complained about that thing, what, what difference would it make? But actually, having worked with a lot of councils over the years, you, you become quite aware that they are very sensitive to feedback from 
residents. And then if, if enough people say, we're not happy that we're not getting our food waste picked up, then there's a good chance they'll do something about it. So I would complain to them because you should be getting that service. In the meantime, if that's not the service that you're being provided, or for example, some people live in rural areas where the councils are not obliged to offer a food waste service because of the amount of distance they would have to drive to pick it up. It doesn't really stack up in carbon terms, whatever. Then you could look at home composting. So if you have any outdoor space available to you, then you could actually put a compost bin in there and start to compost this stuff yourself. And even if you just got a few window boxes that you're trying to keep going or whatever, that compost will be fabulous for that. It'll really help your plants grow. It's quite a satisfying thing to do. And actually, like, although food waste recycling is a fabulous thing and en masse at a nationwide level, it is the best way to deal with the problem. There's still a lot of trucks driving around, taking that food waste from place to place, emitting carbon. Actually, if you're home composting it, that is the most carbon efficient way to deal with that waste because you're not taking it anywhere. It's just happening right at home. So um, not, not necessarily the most straightforward thing to just pick up and do. There are some, some rules, if you like, on home composting. There's certain things you should and shouldn't put in, certain things you need to do every now and again, just keep turning it over. But there's loads of guidance online for how you could do it. And the compost bins don't cost that much. So that, that's an option for you if you're not getting a, a, a collection service for your food waste from home. I'll look into that and I'll speak to my resident committee, which uh, will probably end up like Hanforth Parish Council. <laughs> <laughs> Get them told, yeah. <laughs> but um, you mentioned um, recycling and, um, you know, people know about, uh, you know, to recycle plastics and things, but things like contamination can still occur. So is that kind of the main the main error you would say with like general recycling in general? Yeah, I'd say so. Because we think about plastic as being one thing. What is this? So it's plastic. But plastic is actually like 10 or 12 different things. You know, there are lots of different types of plastic and, and some of them are easy to recycle and have a and are easy to turn into new products and, and some really aren't, which is why your council is probably a bit more selective about what it wants to put in that bin. But that's not a very easy or straightforward message to get across to people. So the, the way I always kind of advise people to remember it is it's really about plastic packaging that's what your council really wants because that's the types of plastic that are very easy to melt down and make into new things again so things like uh, drinks bottles are collected by every single council up and down the land in scotland so drinks bottles are an absolute always yes and then the vast majority also take what we call pots tubs and trays so that's like yogurt pots the trays that you get meat in or like punnet of strawberries that kind of thing those are all, all almost universally accepted. So they're all kind of absolute winners. People often forget to recycle the plastics out of their bathroom. So all your shampoo bottles and things like that, because it's like an extra weird pedal bin that you tend to have in your bathroom. I think people often forget about that stuff. So that's another tip to always remember to stick that stuff in your plastic bin as well. But yeah, I mean, contamination, unfortunately, is a massive issue. And it's something we don't talk about very much, but I think a lot of people think, oh, it's good for the environment. That's why we recycle. So the, the, the council takes it all off and does something else with it. I'm not really sure what it is they do with it, but we understand that it vaguely comes back as new products. That's true. But the underpinning thing behind it all is that there's a, a financial market for this stuff. So companies have to want to buy all the stuff that we send off at the end of the day. And what makes it a kind of valuable product stream is if it's pure. So if it's like just all the kind of plastic that they want all together, then that fetches quite a high market price. 
But if they have to spend loads of time fishing out bits of stuff that's not supposed to be in there, that decreases the value of it. And if you decrease the value of your load of recycling, that kind of just eventually undermines the whole system behind it and makes the council doesn't get a good price for it because it's more expensive for them to run the whole thing that things starts to fall down. So it is really important that we put the right things in the right bins. And if anybody out there is not sure and thinks, oh God, I might have been putting the wrong thing in, it's actually quite easy just to check what your council takes. Like you probably had a letter about it at some point, like five years ago or whatever, and you know, you've lost it or whatever. But actually, if you just put your local council's name into Google, East Renfrewshire Council or whatever it is, and recycling service, like that'll take you straight to a page that tells you exactly what they do and don't want in your local area. And it, it does vary from council to council. So I really would urge people just to have a check and make sure they're putting the right things in. Because we quite often people are quite well-meaning and think, well, that's plastic, I'll just give it a go. But to be honest, it is better to just stick to what they say they definitely want. And then that makes the whole system just operate much more smoothly. Um, and Gary, do you recycle food in your food waste bin? Or are you sometimes a bit like me and just stick all in the main bin? No, I, I, I must admit, I do, I do properly recycle. Now I'm working from home, I'm probably generating a bit more food waste than I, than I probably ever have. I'm now filleting whole salmon and things like that. And, and the other thing I think that's been good, and in, in, I, I live in Glasgow, so I've got, I'm, I'm Glasgow City Council. So we have a, a general waste and we have a, a garden waste and, and food uplift and we also have a recycling in glass. And what they've done is they've, they've dropped a week out of the general waste. And obviously they can just say automatically they've, they've, they've reduced their landfill by one third. And technically they probably have when they've done that. But what it means is if you put food in your, your regular waste, it's, it can be sitting there for three weeks, you know, and that ain't, that ain't going to end well. So we, we are, we're, we're always careful about our food waste. I mean, um, we've got a caddy right in the right in the kitchen. And another thing I'd like to say, again, just being a practical person, the, you know, simple things like the bags are uh, getting much better. You know, I remember when we first got our caddies and you first bought bags and stuff, it was really difficult to get a decent bag that didn't burst all over the floor. So the whole thing's becoming a lot more user-friendly. And it's a shame that you're living in a flat and, and no, get nowhere to put it, but I must admit, we've got, we've got a, a great service. Another thing I did actually is um, I bought a water filter machine because my kids all drink water. They all drink two litres of water and we were buying loads of it. It was all stuck in the garage, gallons and gallons of it. We bought this water machine and uh, we don't buy water anymore. I mean, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. So there's, there's filtered water. And um, I reckon, I mean, we probably paid about £80 for the machine. And I, I reckon, you know, we got our money back, you know, very, very quickly. Um, we're amazed. And even when we look at putting the bins out, you're kind of thinking you're looking at the recycling bin and it's half empty when normally you're jumping in it. But um, there's loads and loads of little, little things you can do that are practical that, that uh, save you, save you uh, buying stuff. It's incredible. This is really good to hear that as well because what Gary's talking about there is like waste reduction measures, which we, we get quite fixated about recycling as being, you know, this kind of be all and end all. But actually like what we often try and remind people of is like we, what we call the waste hierarchies, reduce, reuse recycle and then recycling you've got you know 20 bottles every week they are getting melted down and made into something else but that all takes quite a lot of energy and quite a lot of carbon emitted to do that so just trying to remind people those you know it's brilliant to hear that gary yeah i'm quite fascinated on the journey of food waste as well where it goes 
you know, and it gets turned it gets turned into energy, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So there's kind of like a weighing scale. You put it into landfill, we go, oh, not good at all. Goes down this way, and it creates that methane that we talked about earlier, which is massively contributing to climate change. So you can put it in landfill, but that's really bad. But if you put it in your caddy, it swings so far the other way, you get this amazing. It goes to like a what we call an anaerobic digestion plant, which sounds very technical, but it just basically means it rots down without oxygen and turns into like this amazing uh, fertilizer, which you can go and use to grow crops. And then the gas that comes off it is like a kind of electric biogas that you can use to 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 what to generate green electricity. Is it still methane gas that's then burnt off that makes energy? Or? I don't think it is. No, I think it's something to do with the different process that that gas that's emitted. It's yeah, it's, it's that something to do with the absence of oxygen. I was supposed to go see one of the plants. Uh, I think it was in Dundee. I was doing one of the festivals, and I think one of the major sponsors was a recycling company. And he, he came to me because he because he knew I did a lot with zero waste. And he said, "Oh, we need to get his, we need to get you see the process." And I was so excited, you know, I was so looking forward to getting in and and seeing the the, the sort of end journey. And it's something we don't talk about too much, but I think it's a real positive, and I think it's it's a big part of that message. Obviously, we don't want any any uh, any food waste at all but it's nice to see the if you look after that waste where it goes and and how beneficial it can be we talk quite a lot about farm to fork but if you think if you follow that journey even further on you probably get farm back to farm you know because actually the, yes. the stuff's been through that composting process and has gone back into the fields you know so like yeah it's yeah. just taking that full circle and how does Scotland stand? Are, are we are we are we good at it? Are we bad at it? Are we falling behind other people? Or? On food waste recycling, where we're good, actually, yeah. We, we have this thing called the carbon metric, right? Which is you instead of talking about waste in terms of tons, which is since the beginning of waste management, how do we reduce waste? Let's reduce the amount of tons of waste that there is. But we obviously look at this slightly differently. Say, well, not all waste is created equal. So I slightly talked about this earlier in terms of the difference between plastic. And food waste, food waste has a much bigger carbon footprint. So we analyze the carbon impact of Scotland's waste. And although the recycling rate generally across Scotland has kind of stayed about the same for the last few years, it's been around about 45%, sort of plateauing a bit. Actually, the carbon impact of Scotland's waste is going right down because we're starting to recycle more of things like food waste. And because it has a much higher carbon footprint, we're recycling more of the high carbon stuff so our, our carbon footprint from waste is coming right down, even though the recycling rate is actually staying around about the same. So you can sort of see that actually Scotland's kind of really getting this now in terms of starting to recycle food waste and starting to realise that it's important. I, I do think there's probably more awareness raising we need to do about that still. That's great. It's like every day's a school day. <laughs> um, which the, the awareness side of things kind of takes me on to COP26, which is happening in Glasgow this year so what what um Andrew would you like to see sort of come from that in terms of the actual event itself but do you see it um kind of affecting you know educating young people as well I mean absolutely it's such such an enormous opportunity to have both Scotland so, so much in the spotlight but alongside that climate change message with people like you know Joe Biden's going to be coming here and people from all over the world refocusing everybody's attention on this issue. It's a massive opportunity. I think what Zero Waste Scotland is looking to say amidst all that, with that platform and that spotlight being on Scotland, is 
a lot of what's on the agenda for COP, it's all important stuff, but it's stuff around yeah, looking at kind of transport and aviation and looking at energy and these, these, these big issues. But actually the issues that we talk about a lot about using resources and using materials more efficiently are not, are not really sort of permeating at that level yet. And that's our goal really is to try and raise more awareness of that because actually when we look at Scotland's carbon footprint, actually about four-fifths of it is related to our use of materials and resources. Admittedly, some of that is from moving the resources around, such so as transport emissions, technically. But actually, if you just used your resources much more smartly in the first place, you wouldn't be incurring any of those transport emissions or energy emissions. So when you take it solely around, well, if, we, if it's just down to using materials, then it's like four-fifths of our entire carbon footprint. Whereas if we were moving to what we call a more circular economy, where we keep all our materials just in a kind of constant loop, uh, keep using them again and again and again through things like reusing things, repairing things, remanufacturing things to be better than they were when they were new, all of these different approaches, um, we, we could actually significantly reduce our carbon footprint. And yet somehow that's not really on the international agenda yet. So that's kind of our hope for COP is that we get that over. And actually food and food waste plays a huge part in that. Um, food accounts for like a massive portion of our overall carbon footprint. Uh, you know, it's one of those resources that makes up that fourth fifth figure. So again, we're hoping to kind of raise awareness about that. And I think I think with food waste as well, I think individuals have an impact. Individuals have the choices to make. And the other thing is, you know, we're talking about, you know, you're talking about um, reducing flights and travel, and and we're we're all going to lose our 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 our, uh, our gas guzzling cars. But when it comes to, you know, doing something about food waste, you don't have to give anything up. It's just something, it's just a change of lifestyle. It's a change of attitude towards it, which I find quite exciting. It's one of the few things where we're not being told you can't have or you can't do. It's just about changing how you, how you kind of look, look at food waste and how you treat it. So many of the, the, the clever ways that you can make the most of your food end up being totally delicious. You know, like... There was this thing the other day where I said, oh, I've got all these tortilla wraps left over. And someone said, oh, what do you do? Just drizzle some oil on them, put them in the oven, maybe put a bit of salt and pepper on them, and they turn into like, what, like crisps, basically. And I absolutely <laughs> like amazing things to eat with hummus. And it's like, otherwise, it'd just be like these kind of slightly stale tortilla wraps that I feel a bit guilty about putting in my food caddy. I've turned them into something amazing. I've totally won there. So, like, a lot of this stuff is, like you, you say, a snack. <laughs> yeah, we're not losing something, we're gaining something just by taking that different attitude, you know? And do you think it's becoming quite an industry-wide thing within sort of the hospitality sector, Gary? Because from my personal experience, there's um, Kale Brook is down the road from me and they've got their sister restaurant, Bar Brett. Well, it's not a restaurant, it's like a wine bar. And before all this kicked off, Barbrett would do a leftover menu and they'd take leftovers from Kailbrook and create like small plates to have with your wine and it was cheese on toast with like a kind of bit of sourdough that kind of passed its best and it was just a really interesting thing I thought yeah, and I just wondered yeah. if you think that that kind of style of menu or cooking is becoming a bit more you know not like the end thing but you know what I mean like is it yeah. becoming a bit more kind of focused on uh, One thing I'd say is uh, sustainability is high in the agenda for for the whole hospitality industry. Kale Brook leftovers are going to sell out the door, no problem, because <laughs> it's Kale Brook. But um, I don't know if that's a marketing plan that would work for every restaurant. But again, things like food waste and energy saving and, 
and and laundry. I mean, you you'll notice when you go to a hotel, they're asking you not to, if you don't need your towel washed, don't put it on the floor, and all these. There's loads of things that that the hospitality industry does. I'll be honest, a lot of that has been led through trying to make profit. It's been led through trying to keep restaurants afloat because the profit margin in a restaurant is absolutely tiny. It's a tough, tough business. So um, every penny counts. As I was saying earlier, the, the, the next generation of chefs coming through are very aware of environment and, and, and looking at even where you're buying your food from, you know, it's, it's, we, we, we need to get back. And again, the great restaurants are already doing it, but it's, it's buying food in season. It's buying food locally. You know, it breaks my heart when I go in the supermarket and there's a punt of strawberries from Peru. I mean, it's so far away. So what does that cost us, you know, to get it here? So we have to be a wee bit more aware of that. And I think, I'll be honest, that there's, you know, I, I see a massive change, even in the last five years, of people's attitude towards, you know, provenance of their food. And it's not down to they want to be, they want to buy the, the absolute, you know, the best from the West Coast of Scotland. They just don't want to be importing food from the other side of the world. And you'll see that through the chefs, you know, you'll, you'll see less and less, you know, things like tiger prawns, but you'll see a lot more things like langoustine and stuff on the menu. You know, sea bass is getting a hard hit at the minute because sea bass was a staple in a lot of kind of middle market restaurants, but the public now know it's farmed, you know, three, three, 3,000 miles away. So there is definitely a need. And again, it's getting led up, I think, from the bottom, the younger generation who, who, who really are embracing embracing this but i think as the public's knowledge increases they demand to see where their produce is coming from and all in all i think it, it helps it helps everything well guy i couldn't have you on the podcast without asking you about winning master chef for professionals <laughs> and i know you've tweeted about it recently kind of encouraging people to apply so what was that experience like for you right so everybody should apply if you're a chef and you're, you're normally shouting at the telly I can do it better, apply. For me, I was an absolute MasterChef nerd. It's my favourite show, still is my favourite show. Um, it's sometimes hard to even think that you were on it, never mind won it. The MasterChef professional show, we use it as a kind of teaching tool at college. Basically what happens is, when you know, we've all seen the show when they bring on this, this new contestant, you know, they do the big hero shots in front of the Georgian, you know, three rosette restaurant and all that sort of stuff. And they, they really kind of hype these uh, these individuals these individuals up and then they fling them out into that skills test and the skills test is where they they sort of they, they say it's kind of basic basic tasks fillet and fish and boning out and stuff like that and uh, the chef goes in a car crashes the the challenge you know it could be something simple like an omelet or cut, cutting a chicken up but the car crash it you get the students coming back into college the following morning and they'll they'll say did you see that chef from so-and-so couldn't bone out a chicken or couldn't bone out a bit of lamb? And all of these kind of fundamental basics is what we are teaching our students first and second year. Scary being an educator going in and doing it, though. You know, there was a, there was a big risk because if you go out on day one, uh, but lucky, lucky for me, uh, I, I didn't. A, a fantastic experience. As I say, I never went on it to, to, I know it sounds daft, but I never went on it to win it. I went on it to experience it and become part of the alumni of MasterChef. My main objective from start to finish was just not to look daft on telly because I knew that my kids would be watching. And, you know, if you went on there and you you, you just weren't yourself or you went on there and you weren't uh, totally focused and organised and had a bad day, I think it would live with you for a while. You know, you're out there showing everybody what you've done for 30 years 
in front of five million people. You know, there was a, there was one of the, the newspapers in London had described it as the cruelest reality TV show in the world. You know, they were swamped with reality TV, but that is the only one that actually tests people doing what they do for a living. And it's now, my year's also now on Netflix. So I'm getting a whole load of, of new fans that are watching Netflix, never seen it before, and don't realize it's from four years ago. So it's incredible that the, the power of television is, is, is amazing, really is. Been able to do a lot of good as well. You know, we, we, we're working with, with certain charities and it's great you know, working with Zero Waste Scotland because people kind of listen to you. Um, and I think my approach is slightly different because I'm, I've never forgotten, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a father of five and I'm a, a lecturer in Glasgow. So I've always, I've always been able to talk real and I'm quite happy to stand there and say that I was rubbish at, you know, I was, I was rubbish at feeding the kids or food waste or whatever it is. And I try and make these kind of stories uh, real based on my own experience. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic platform, it really is. Gary, what would be your top tips for cooking for a family to avoid food waste? As I, as I said, said it's like this, now that I'm cooking every day, it's really hard. We're not wasting food because, I, again, I believe it's not the dish that gets wasted, it's how you look after it. So if you've made a nice, whatever that may be, if you look after it properly and you get it cooled, and get it back in the fridge, you can use it, you know, you can use it the next day. And the, the other thing I do as a family, we're, we're a big family, but five kids, you know, I, I put the food on the table. I know it sounds very old fashioned, but it means the kids can pick and choose what they want. You know, and I've got, I've got seven year olds and I've got 24 year olds. So, and, and everything in between. I find if you put the food in the middle of the table, kids won't lift anything off the table unless they're going to eat it. Because they don't want to be left they can't leave the table until they've cleared their plate. So they'll lift what they think they're going to eat. And what we've noticed is they go back. So they're quite happy to be quite conservative in what they're putting on their plate. And then they'll go back. They'll go back for the little bits and bobs that they like the most. But what it means is whatever's lying in the table in the middle, at the end of the meal, you know, if you can get that looked after, wrapped up, vacuum packed, back in the fridge, you know, it's fine. It's fine for the next day, you know, and it means you don't, you don't waste it. But in a normal pre-COVID life, I batch cooked. So I, I, I would cook, I would cook for eight days, some nights. And a lot of the time I'm away and I'm working abroad and stuff. So if I'm away for eight days, I'll cook for eight days. I'll, I'll cook enough. And uh, a, a vacuum pack. And again, I bought this little vacuum packer from, uh, from, I think it was Lakeland or somewhere like that, but you get them online, 80 pounds. And I thought to myself, this is never going to work. You know, never ever going to, work but I bought, bought it anyway and because uh, normally I mean we vacuum pack a lot in the industry and a vacuum packer's you know like four thousand pounds and I thought this 80 pound vacuum packer it's never going to work I'll give it a go and if it doesn't work I'll take it back and uh, it absolutely worked a treat so basically what I and as I say normally do is I, I make a batch cook get everything cooled and looked after really well build the sink with water get the pots in it cools down within about half an hour and what that does is it means it can last longer and it can also also taste better that you've not got something lying about, look warm. A vacuum packet and I get it all dated, put it in the fridge. And I can go away abroad for eight days, come back and I'm still feeding myself from what's in the fridge when I left. So a vacuum packet, I would say, is a, is, is a thing that changed my life at home and, and, a, and some batch cooking. But what it does for us, and again, in a normal life, I've got two wee ones at primary school. 
I've got my, uh, my son was at college, uh, my other son was at uni, my daughter was at college, and everybody was living different lives. So they could come in, they could have a look, and they could just take a bag of, you know, lamb tagine, you know, pop it in the microwave, heat it up, and that's them. They're sorted, they're happy. And I also gave my kids a choice as well, which, again, I think the older generation would not be happy that kids are coming in and thinking, thinking they've got a, a menu. But both my wife and I are chefs, so food's a wee bit different for us. But we still cook normal stuff. We're still cooking, you know, shepherd's pie and, and you know, a Sunday roast and all that sort of stuff. But um, never go into the fridge and go, what's for tea? That's exactly what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> so, but um, I, I need to be more organised. But I think now that you're home every day, you don't the need to be totally focused on what's for dinner is gone. Um, but it, it is costing me money. It is costing time as well. So I'm learning lots myself here. And yeah, just uh, just to quickly go back to um, Master Chef, is uh, do John and Greg actually eat their full meal from every single chef, or do you, or was it all kind of that wasn't wasted, was it? Right. So uh, Master Chef, my my episode didn't have John. It was um, Monica and Marcus Waring and Greg. But basically, what happens is when in that studio, there's fifty people behind the cameras, and those fifty people eat very well. So we, we would make our dish, and you know what it's like, you see the show and we just leave the carnage behind us. We disappear. By the time we come back, everything's clear and all the crew bags are full of food. And they all, and all of them, without exception, have got a fork and knife in their back pocket at all times. So the sound guy, the camera guys, the home ex, the whole thing, uh, they, they're well prepared. And that's their full-time job. You know, they're in that studio, the film... Uh, master chef, master celebrity, master chef, and the professionals, and it's just this big cycle of uh, filming the whole time. So they, they, their food budget at home will be tiny because it takes so much away from the studio. Sounds like a great job. <laughs> <laughs> so just to finish things up, we have a quick fire question round. But just before we start that, um, could uh, Andrew, I'll come back to you and just say if you could um, have any three um, guests at a dinner party, whether they're dead or alive, this is your dream dinner party guests, um, who would they be and why? Um, well, I'm a total music fanatic, so it would probably be like, yeah, people from bands that I really like. So yeah, I don't know, I'd probably have Tom York because I'm a massive uh, Radiohead fan. Um, I would probably have Kurt Cobain, because that was where my, my gateway into music was was getting into Nirvana when I was about 12 or something like that. Got me to pick up a guitar. Um, but then the third guest, I don't know. I wouldn't want to do that on my own. I'd kind of want someone else to enjoy that as well. So I'd probably ask my wife to come as well. Gary, what about you? I think for me, living or dead would be Stan Laurel from Lorne and Hardy. Um, it's a character that's fascinated me. Spent a lot of his early life in Glasgow, went to Rutherglen High School and became arguably the, the most famous man in the world for a certain amount of time. I've always had a love for Billy Conley. Um, and again, anybody that, that knows Billy Conley, Billy Conley's Billy Conley 24-7. Um, I think he'd be a great, a great dinner guest. And uh, Brian Cox, who I really love, an amazing actor who, again, has, has achieved so much and um, I mean, he's he's at the peak of his career right now, so it'd be good to get those three in a room. 
I'm I'm just watching Succession just now, so I feel like I can't think about him without being like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's an and an, an amazing actor. He did a thing. Um, it was a kind of monologue um, during lockdown. It was a full ten minute monologue, or just on his own. He did it for the National Theatre, Scottish Theatre, and it was just amazing. That just absolutely mesmerising. Just watching how he did it. Incredible talent. Final um, part of the podcast is called My Life in Food and it's five quickfire questions to do with food. So if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head, Andrew, I'll start with you if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Uh, crisps. Comfort food for me is... Um, fajitas. <laughs> My favourite childhood dessert is... I'm going to go for butterscotch angel delight. My food heaven is... Oh, like a curry with like all the works, you know, the trimmings. And my food hell is goat's cheese. And Gary, come to you. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of lobster. Comfort food for me is beans and toast. My favourite childhood dessert is Vianetta. <laughs> you can tell how old we are. <laughs> uh, my food heaven is anything Scottish fish, shellfish, Scotch beef, lamb. Any of that sort of really nice high-end quality produce. And my food hell is? Easy Brussels sprouts. Is it because they're always soggy or do you just not like the taste? I don't know. I, do you know what? I spent I spent too much of my, my youth prepping them. You know, as a young chef in hotels, you can spend seven hours prepping Brussels sprouts. You give out four Brussels sprouts per person at Christmas and three of them come back and in the bin. <laughs> So, and, and again, it, it fits the message. It does fit the message. And Brussels sprout farmers hate me because I get asked this question a lot. But when I became a head chef, I banned them. I didn't put them out at Christmas and no one noticed. But, but my whole family absolutely loves them. <laughs> so I'm back prepping them. At least it's not for seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. It was really good to find out more about um, the sort of trying to reduce food waste and how we can recycle. And I'm going to get on that that compost bin and see how it goes down with the committee. Yeah, great stuff. If you need any composting tips, just come come back to me. I've got a, I've got an expert in my team on composting, so we can put you in touch. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks for having. Yeah, us. thanks very much. Before we go, I also have an exciting announcement to make. Scran is marking International Women's Day by dedicating a whole month to women working across the food and drink industry. Episodes will go live on March the 5th and run until the 26th of March. Women from whiskey to business owners and chefs will be taking part in what's set to be an amazing lineup, so please make sure to tune in. Thank you for listening to this episode and as always, if you enjoyed it, please rate and subscribe. It really means a lot to me. Scran is a laudable production and is presented and co-produced by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Marvin McIntyre.